the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. But at this point in Luke 24, Jesus is alive. He's appeared to the women. He's appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. And we left those two guys last week, not simply excited because they had seen the risen Lord, but they were excited because Jesus expounded the scriptures to them. Their hope, which had been dead, was aflame as he started explaining the scriptures to them before they even realized it was him. That was just kind of the cherry on top when they realized it was him. And that's important because it shows that our faith is based entirely on Scripture. There is no Christianity without Scripture. And as we do so, may Luke's goal be accomplished in us. So chapter 24, verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled? He didn't go, I'm done with y'all. He said, why are you troubled? It's interesting, the phrase troubled, it's weird. It means, why do you exist in a state of confusion and great distress? In other words, the distress didn't start when he poofed in their midst. They've been existing in a condition of confusion and great distress. And then he asked them, and why do thoughts, the word means doubts, why do doubts arise in your heart? In other words, the women had told them, they doubted. Peter told them, they doubted. These two guys told them, Jesus is there. But the problem is, and they don't have enough evidence, the problem is they didn't believe what he said from the beginning, and they still don't. Not believing from the beginning caused them to get into this condition. And that's why they're still there. Again, two important things to recognize here. The state of confusion and distress started long before today. And the doubts continued to be entertained even though Jesus was right there in front of them. This is the danger of not knowing and not trusting the scriptures. Jesus prepared them very well for this trial. But they didn't embrace his words. So when the events of the cross began, confusion and distress reigned. And that wasn't going to be solved by other people saying they'd seen Jesus or even from them seeing Jesus. It could only be solved by understanding the scriptures. Do you see that? Like this wasn't solved by Jesus being in their midst. Many people say, I think I mentioned this last week, well, I believe the Bible. If God would just appear to me. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Or I'll do what God says. I'll do what God says if he shows me how everything will turn out well. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because we're not wired that way. We are not created to work that way. We are wired to be creatures that trust his word. Think about it. All the way back to the garden, okay? All the way back to the garden. God lays it all out, gives him this awesome place. And he says, you can have everything you want, except one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you eating anything from that. That represents your choice to not trust my word. Do you believe me? We're good, God. Okay. And what does the enemy say to Eve Did God really say? He didn't come and question. He goes, what's the last time you saw God? I think he might have died. I don't think he's real. They didn't question God's existence. He didn't question God's presence. He questioned God's word. He questioned God's word. 
And when Adam and Eve chose to eat that fruit, they chose to reject God's word, to believe it wasn't true. Again, it wasn't like when God came running through the, through the garden looking for him afterwards that Adam looked at Eve and goes, oh no, he is real. That, that wasn't their thought. They knew he was real. It was his word that was on the line and they didn't trust it. We are wired to be creatures that trust his word. So when I won't trust his word, nothing else will empower me to please God. Nothing. No amount of miracles, no amount of seeing things will empower me to please God. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Paul asks the question, what is the word of of faith that saves us? What is the thing that saves us? He said, well, it's the word of faith which we preach. The word, a message that you put your trust in that we've preached. And what is it? That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes in a righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why does it work this way? Well, that's what God told us how it would work. That's what he says. So the big question then is, is, so how do people get saved then? How does faith come about? Verse 14. Romans 10, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, someone has to tell them. How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? Someone has to tell them. Well, how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, if if someone's going to call on the Lord for salvation, they have to place their trust in him. To place their trust in him, they have to hear something about him. To hear something about him, someone has to tell them, right? So there has to be a line of communication for faith to come about. Now, that line of communication starts here. We're just regurgitating what's here. We're just sharing what we've already heard here. Paul doesn't say in 1 Corinthians 15, he doesn't say, you know, here's my gospel that I preach, that Christ died, we all saw him, and then Christ rose from the dead. Some of us saw him. He says, here's my gospel, that Christ died according to the scriptures, and that he rose from the third day according to the scriptures. That's what he says. It's according to the scriptures. Now, we don't have to believe that. Look at verse 16 in Romans 10. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. You can hear the gospel. You can make a choice to reject it. And and he quotes Isaiah to prove it. For Isaiah even said, Lord, who has believed our report? Nobody listens to me. So then he concludes, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. And how does hearing come? By the word of God. By the word of God. If you won't trust God's word, nothing else will empower you to please him. Nothing else will empower you to trust him. Jesus, why are you troubled? Why are you exist in this state of condition of great distress and confusion? Why are doubts still there even though I stand in front of you? It's because they don't believe the scripture. So verse 39, before they'll listen to scripture, Jesus has to deal with their fears that he's a ghost who's haunting them. Otherwise, they won't listen to anything he says. So verse 39, he says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. The word behold means you need to see this. You need to see, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Now there's a colon there, which means he paused. Seeing the wounds in Jesus' hands and his feet would confirm his identity, but it would not confirm his humanity. So after a brief pause where they don't respond, Jesus says more. He says, handle me too, handle me and see. The word there, it means touch me. You must touch me. It refers to a surface touch, not like a hug or an embrace. Just just touch me. I'm not a ghost. See that I'm not a ghost. Touch me and see. The word there means to understand or recognize that I'm not a ghost. I'm not here to haunt you. Again, a pause. 
At that point, someone must have been brave enough to touch Jesus because what he says next shows that. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. The word here, see, it means to presently experience. At some point, someone did touch him and they didn't like go through him. And, and other guys had touched him. And then they all were like, oh, okay, he's not a ghost. And he goes, You're, okay, you got it? I'm not a ghost. And then when he had spoken that, He showed them again his hands and his feet. Why does he show them that? I mean, it's not like Jesus didn't have any other distinctive features. It's it's not like if they were in a crowd that they couldn't look and go, where's the guy with the big nose? Or where's the guy with the the ears that are shaped this way? Or the the bushy eyebrows? I I don't know, but I'm sure there were things that were distinct about Jesus, just like there are things that are distinct about you. It's not like they needed to see the wounds to know it was him. Why the emphasis on the wounds? I think because they teach us two important truths. They teach us the horrible ugliness of my sin and what it did to him and the wonderful love of God, what he's willing to do for me. His wounds prove that I'm not okay on my own, that I'm lost and I'm in need of a savior and that sin is an abomination worthy of God's judgment. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, God will deal with you. He has to punish sin. We have this idea out there, well, I, I think God should punish really bad people, but not me. You're really bad people. You want to know why? Because God never designed this world to have sin in it. So whenever you choose to do something else, it doesn't matter how little it might be to you, it's a big deal to him because of what it destroys in you and what it destroys in his creation and what it destroys in others. So it is a big deal to him. And the cross proves that. The wounds prove that. But the wounds also prove that he did everything necessary to save me, that he loves me despite my wickedness, and that he doesn't want to judge me. He wants to rescue me from it so I can be close to him. It proves that he wants to change me so I don't have to live that way anymore. That's why we call it good news, because it's great news (laughs) that I don't have to die. I can be forgiven. I can be different. I can be his child. At this point, they might not believe Jesus is a ghost anymore, but they still don't understand what's really happened. Because verse 41 says something really weird. And while they yet believe not, while they still didn't believe for joy, because of their joy, and wondered, he said unto them, do you have here any food? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. What a weird thing. They still didn't believe, but it's because they were happy? Why wouldn't they believe because they were happy? Well, there are times that joy can hinder faith as much as sorrow, especially when I think something is too good to be true. The word wondered there, it means to be amazed or surprised. They still didn't come to a place of trusting what he said, trusting what prophets had said about the Messiah would happen, and understanding what he did for them. They still weren't there. They were just relieved he wasn't a ghost. They were just relieved that he was alive. They didn't take that next step to say, where do we go from here? That's not all too different from us. Have you ever had a major problem and you cry out to God with all sorts of promises if he'll take care of it? And then he does. You know what happens a lot of times when we do that, when we bargain with God? When we bargain with God, instead of resting in the promises of his word, we usually end up forgetting our end of the bargain once the crisis is over. Because we bargained with God. And so we kind of, the way we work is we come up with new bargains. 
We say, well, God surely wouldn't expect me to go to church for the rest of my life. He really didn't expect me to read my Bible every day. I mean, that's kind of, you're expecting a lot. The crisis wasn't that bad, God. And we just kind of go about with our regular everyday lives. When we bargain with God, there's no love there. There's no gratitude there. It's just, well, I did my part and God did his part. So now we can, we're square. We can kind of move on. So they'd never come to the place where they were thankful, where they actually pondered the meaning of what it, his death and resurrection were to them. They were just happy about the relief they were experiencing, not worshiping the one who brought it. They were relieved because they're not being haunted, but surprised because they didn't know the scriptures. So we don't see any worship. We see no thanks for what he did on the cross. We see no faith yet. Jesus says to him, we need to have a talk. Do you have anything to eat? And they give him food and he eats with them. And then he teaches them, corrects them. Why does Jesus eat before teaching them, before correcting them? Well, eating's a different thing in, in that culture. It was a very intimate thing. He didn't eat with anyone but family or close friends. You know, we might go into a restaurant and everybody eat in the same spot, but they didn't, they didn't live like that back then. Eating was something intimate. The way the dishes are still today in most places is you go and it's all right there at the table in front of you. And you're all poking, picking from the same plate. The idea is the same loaf of bread, the same meat that you're pulling from is nourishing me, it's nourishing you. And so there's this idea in that culture that you're becoming one when you eat together. So you don't just do it with anybody because you don't want to be one with just anybody. They got mine of cooties. So it's just, how, it's just how they look at things over there. So for Jesus to eat with them, it kind of is reassuring to them because what he's about to say is going to be corrective. So they needed to know that they were loved even though they still didn't believe. Having established that he's still for them, he still loves them, they're still family, he now deals with their unbelief, verse 44. And he said it to them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He says, listen, everything I'm about to teach you today, I have already taught you. All these things I taught you while I was still with you. The phrase there was yet with you means being still. It refers to the time, but he was before the cross, before the arrest, before his death, before the resurrection. The three and a half years when he was teaching them and, and living life with them. He said, I said all these words which I spoke unto you. And what were those words? That all the things must be fulfilled. That it was necessary to complete everything that's found in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. The Jewish people divided their scriptures into three sections. You had the first five books of Moses, that was the law. You had the history sections from Joshua to Esther and then Isaiah to Malachi, those were the prophets. And then you had from Job to Song of Solomon, the Psalms. So here, Jesus affirms not just the validity of the entire New Testament that we, Old Testament that we hold in our hands today, but he clarifies that every section of that Old Testament speaks about him, every section. It is very popular, at least it seems to me, for people to say things today like this. Well, I'm a Christian, but we can't really know what the Bible said. We can't really understand it. So we can't really rely upon it. So I'm a Christian, but I don't believe the Bible. We chuckle, but there are people I grew up in church with that I shared my faith with in school that are saying these things now. For many of them, they went through trials, were and heartache, and difficulty, and suffering, or they saw churches fail, or pastors fail, and, and that was their reaction to it, because they didn't feel like that was fair, or made sense, I get it. But the premise still exists, and it's a problem. The reason 
that these people started looking elsewhere for answers is because the scriptures were never their foundation in the first place. This is why we need to understand the scriptures, that our faith needs to stem from the scriptures because that's the only thing that will anchor us when we go through suffering, difficulty, confusing times. It's the only thing. Not even a miracle can keep us through those times. That Jesus affirms and clarifies in every section speaks about him. Can you imagine what it'll be like when we get to heaven and we learn the Bible in its totality? You know, I wonder how many parts of it that we Jesus would be like, yeah, this is talking about me and this is how. And we'd be like, that's awesome. Can't wait till tomorrow for all eternity. Thus Jesus corrects them, just like he did the two on the road. You ignored my words and you ignored the words of Scripture. And it's time for that to stop. And so in verse 45, he teaches them the prophecies again. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Sounds redundant, but the reason is because those two words for understanding are actually different. The first word means refers to our mind, the faculty of understanding, reasoning, and deciding. He opened that. He caused that to not be cloudy anymore. Like the two on the road to Emmaus, their unbelief had clouded their thinking. They could only see things one way with that mindset. It's not that Jesus went up to him and he's like wearing a fake funny nose and bushy glasses or something like that. What are you all talking about? That, that, that's not it at all. It's just in their mind, they're thinking Jesus is dead. This guy bears a funny resemblance to him, but it can't be Jesus, so they never thought it was Jesus. Same thing for these guys. They didn't believe the Old Testament scriptures, so it didn't matter that they were being fulfilled right before their eyes because they would never even think about that. Jesus, he unclouded their minds by explaining the scriptures to them. That's what the second word understand means. It means to understand or realize something to the point of insight. See, now as he's explaining the scriptures, James is sitting there going, oh, well, look, I get it. And you know, Peter's going, me too. You know, and, and they're seeing all the dots start to connect together. It's not that they hadn't heard it before. They didn't believe it the last time. And now that they're listening and their minds are unclouded and they're hearing it, now they're understanding. And now they can make a choice without any of those past biases. See, if they still wanted to disbelieve, that was possible. But now they would do so in the face of indisputable evidence. And you might say, well, who would do that? Jesus is right in front of them. We do it every time we ignore the Holy Spirit when he reminds us of Scripture so we don't make a poor decision. We do it every time we do that. So I love Jesus' patience with these guys. He had spent three years teaching them everything in this Bible study here that we don't have access to. Spent three years teaching them this Bible study. And yet he does it one more time. That means there's still hope for me. It means there's hope for you. And if he can love them through all this nonsense, he can love you and me through our own nonsense too. Now, we don't have a record of the full teaching. The only thing we have is Jesus' closing words. And Luke lists them here beginning in verse 46. And he said unto them, Thus it is written. The word there is written means settled long in the past. It has been written. In this way, so that's how we know he's finished the study. After he explains all from Genesis to Revelation, all the scriptures and how they relate to him. Again, I, I wish I had that Bible study. He then says, in this way, everything I've taught you, it's been settled long in the past. This isn't new doctrine. And thus, in this way, it behooved, that means it was necessary for the Messiah, Christ, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Had to happen. Scriptures foretold it. But Jesus, there's a lot more you told us in this Bible study. A lot more in those prophecies than just the death and the resurrection of the Messiah for our sins. 
Those prophecies also talked about what happens after that. Verses 47 and 48. And not only did the scriptures prophesy the death of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah, but it also prophesied that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you, you're the ones where it starts with. You are witnesses of these things. This is so crazy because the gospel we think so much of, well, Christ died and he rose again. But the gospel proclamation, that's what the word preach means. It means to proclaim or to announce. The gospel proclamation is that because of that, we can repent of our sins and be forgiven completely of them in Christ, in his name, through Christ. They say, where was that prophesied in the Old Testament? Look at Isaiah 52 with me. Now, if you've studied the Old Testament before, you know what comes after Isaiah 52 is Isaiah 53. Deep theological point that three comes after two. And Isaiah 53 is about the death of the Messiah, right? The suffering Messiah. So we're smack dab in the prophecies of the Messiah. 52. The prophet Isaiah says, awake, awake. The only time God tells you to wake up is when you're sleeping, okay? And who's asleep? Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. His people, Israel, they're sleeping in this prophetic passage. He says, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come unto you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bands of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourself for nothing. You've become slaves for nothing. You didn't get anything back, but you shall be redeemed without money. Of course, that refers to the cross. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people is taken away for nothing? They that rule over them make them to howl, says the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. So what am I going to do, the Lord says? Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he that does speak. Behold, it is I. How are they going to know his name again? How shall they know his will again? Verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news, that publish peace that bring good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that says unto Zion, your God reigns. And that's the verse that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 10 that we read earlier. That talks about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How will they know his name again? How shall they know his will again? Us. Us. Those who have heard the gospel message and have received it. The same prophecies that teach Messiah's suffering and resurrection predict that repentance and forgiveness will be preached to the entire world, starting with the Jewish people, exactly as Jesus says here. Not only thus it is written that Christ should suffer and rise the third day, but repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name among all nations, starting here, starting with you guys. For you are my witnesses. Of interesting, these things, plural, These things, plural, what these things is he referring to? Not that they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, but the things that it was written solidly and established before time that the scriptures prophesied that the Messiah would suffer, that he would die, that he would rise again the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness is available to us in his name. That's the thing, the things that they are witnesses to, the things prophesied in scripture. They are eyewitnesses. They do have that on us. But that's not the thing that they were necessarily only witnessing of. The Greek word for witness there, it's martis, which is where we get our word martyr from. 
Their proclamation of Scripture would be coupled with a willingness to lay down their lives for what they believed. And that would be how they'll testify to the truth of the Scriptures. That their very lives would be evidence, witness to the truth of what they preached. That they would look at the Scriptures and it would govern every aspect of their lives. That everything they believed and everything they lived out, everything they did is because of the Scriptures. Everything they declared because of the Scriptures. And as a result, that's what people would see and they would know that it was real. And that's how we can be the same witnesses they are even though we have not seen the risen Lord. Because we can still testify of these things. Amen? Jesus is not finished yet. There are still four verses here, five verses left. And laying down our lives each day because we really believe what the Bible says and preaching that to others is not something we can do in our own strength. You got to come back next week to finish Luke because we're going to talk about that. While this kind of sums up the end of Luke's point of his gospel, the point of where do we go from here is answered in these last few verses. So I want to hone in on one last time on the importance of Scripture. Because that's really the point of Luke's gospel. It's almost like Luke says at the end here, he goes, I've given you an entire book, Theophilus. Remember, that's the guy he's writing to. He said, Theophilus, I'm writing this to to you so you would know of a truth, of a certainty that the things you believe are true. And it's like Luke says at the end, he goes, I've given you all this eyewitness testimony of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. But that's not what makes our faith reliable, Theophilus. It's God's account that makes our faith reliable. His scriptures from Genesis all the way to the end that makes our faith reliable. And that reason above all is why I think Luke is in our Bible. Yes, we learn a ton about Jesus and that's been cool. But the ultimate lesson is that scripture is the source of our faith. It has everything we need to know to know that what we believe is real and reliable. It has everything to cause us to make Jesus everything to us moving forward. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will a Ministry of Calvary Chapel, Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.